I saw the uh, trailer for the Sadler's Wells um, South Pacific. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, transfer. Amazing. Yeah, I quite like to go to that. I'd like to go to that. We might have an outing. I think. I. I mean, I love Julian Overton as yes, a performer. Yes, I like him. He's and very nice. It, um, but everything about it looked great, and they and they had as part of the trailer they had um, you know I'm going to watch that man right out of my hand. They'd done this whole big number with it, which just looked amazing. Really good. I think Dan Evans is so. Yeah, clever. I think he's really good. Um, I really like him. Well, we'll try and have an outing. That'd be nice to go to. So, uh, mm, we might miss it. It's on for ages, mm, isn't it? Well, according to the trailer, it was on at Sadler's Wells until August 28th. Okay, we probably will then, because you're away a lot. I'm away, but you, you, you might be able to. Can have a look. We'll have a look. So I can't picture the Sadler's Wells stage. It's a big dance stage. It's a big dance stage. It will look quite good on it, yeah. I think. They used to do, so they used to do a lot of musicals at Sadler's Wells and indeed a lot of theatre. And then, you know, Develwell went there and that's when it becomes a dance house. It was a musical originally. Really? I think I They're rebuilt as a dance stage. I rehearsed something there. I can't remember what for the life of me. But And they were doing Lion the Witch and it was the RSE Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe which had transferred there and I knew some people in it who I'd been in it with but actually it's interesting because that's another thing I quite like to see they've done a new version of it haven't they yeah oh yeah so we could do that that's yeah. on longer that's the is that at the Gillian Lynn yeah that looks yeah. amazing okay. with lots of puppets and yeah 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 awesome. there's a lot of puppets generally well I think people use it in a way that there's a new sort of way of storytelling that perhaps started with War Horse, you know, and then interesting around that time, Marion Elliott with Light Princess, you know, the way that she used people in black stockings to help uh, Rosalie Craig do extraordinary acrobatics on the stage. And the idea that there's a sort of... What, in company? The what? Well, in, in company, did she no, do? No, no, oh, in, no. In, uh, in Light oh, Princess. Light Princess, yes, she was, okay. She was using those, uh, like... She had harnesses and was doing yeah. extraordinary things, but then when she would, when they did smaller twists and turns, there were people in black stocking suits helping her twiddle in the air. It has come in more and more and more. We saw puppets last night. We did amazing puppets. Little outing, yeah. Hundred and one Dalmatians at the Regent's Park Open Air Theatre, and it was lovely. I mean, it is. It's interesting at the moment that one of the great beneficiaries of um, the warm weather is um, that open air venues no longer have to worry about rain yeah. and people not wanting to go because it's going to rain. And so we all, you can just rock up to all kinds of open air places, and there you are, yeah, enjoying a show. But there's interesting. I mean, I don't know whether I've just been completely daft and missed it all, but there seem to be. I've read about a company in Kew Gardens who are doing Midsummer Night's Dream. There was a version of something by the Iris Theatre Company who were doing something in the gardens of the Actors' Church in Covent Garden and all this stuff. And I think, and they said for 10 years running. And I thought, how have I missed this yeah. for 10 years? And how brilliant. I think it has become more of a thing. So open air theatre is one of the themes of this week's episode of As the Actress Said to the Critic. And um, with me, uh, the critic, Sarah Crompton. And with me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. 
And um, yeah, so we had one of our rare outings last night to Regent's Park, which was great fun for 101 Dalmatians, which, you know, lots and lots of puppets of um, Dalmatians. They walked they walked next to us at one point and they, they made these amazing... Because the, the big... Aisle, you know, we were on an island. So it was really quite exciting because the, the main puppets are um, wood. And they make this kind of quite very satisfying clunk, like like in fact those theatres you used to have as a kid, yeah, yeah. and the one in the Sound of Music where she, yes. you know you've got little wooden I'm things. Just thinking that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just love. I mean, what's so exciting about that space? And we've seen so many things over the years. I think Tim Cheater is so clever, um, and but that it is you know when actors, particularly for kids shows uh, and shows aimed at younger audiences, when they break off the stage and take over the auditorium and surround the audience, even now at, yeah. the, at the sort of um, tender age of 48, I uh, I get so excited by yeah. it. Yeah. I just think it's something about, it is that thing of breaking out. You know, it's like, you know, when the, I was going to say when the, when the cream pours over the edge of the jug. <laughs> That's not, that's really not quite right. It's not quite right. But yeah, something something delicious pouring out of the. But that Regent's Park space is quite special. I took yeah. I mean, I took years to go to it. I don't know really. I think probably I was always put off by the rain, or something. But since I've started to go, I find it a magical space yeah, uh, yeah. when something works. I remember two things very distinctly there. One was um, Into the Woods, the right. Stephen Sondheim musical, and what I remember most of all was that. As the giant appeared at the end, towards the end of the show, the um, the trees rustled. Ooh. So it really was like something was coming down from the sky, and um, it, it used that sense that you get there of, of day for night. That if you're yeah. going to an evening show, you start off in the daylight, even though they start quite late, and you so you're sitting there, hopefully on a very nice sunny evening, and then darkness falls. Yeah. And it used it so magically of that sense of you know in that in that second half of that show that you yes, go yes. into the darkness. And the other show I remember was, um, I think, one of the best Sound of Musics I've ever seen. It was directed by Rachel Kavanagh. And as the Nazis came to power, she'd filled the sort of whole of the auditorium with grass so that there was grass down the side, which in the early stages, the kids ran down. And there was this sense of being in this big, you know, idyllic space. Yeah. And then as the Nazis came to power, flags unfurled yeah, down that side. Beautiful. And it, it was absolutely chilling. And I think um, it, it's a funny thing about the open, being watching theatre in the open air that you, as an audience, become so much a part of it, yes. in a way, I, I guess. Well, you can achieve that uh, in enclosed theatres, but there's, it is... It's more of a contract, isn't it? Because you all sit there going, okay, we're at the, literally at the mercy of the elements and we've all decided to be here today at this time and let's see what happens. But it's interesting as well when you compare it to like the Globe. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't performed at the Globe, but Joe has. And he, when he said that when he was doing King John there, you've, you felt a sense of this was written for an actor knowing that at the beginning of the play there would be light and at the end of the play there would be dark. Yeah. And that the, the language took that into account. And I think it's like any space and any, you know, set of circumstances that you know, there's no point as a designer or a director or an actor fighting them because they will win. You know, any space, any weather front will win. So you sort of have to 
play with it. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it's like an audience. An audience, the audience will win. If you have an audience of kids that do not have any interest in what you're doing, they, you know, they will win. And it was interesting as well talking to Tim Sheeda, who we bumped into before the show, and he was saying, and and Douglas Hodge, who who'd written the show, who yeah. has written the show, and they were talking about the amount of audience members that stand up and and do selfies during the show, <laughs> with the, with the backdrop of the performance behind them, and it, and that's the sort of the glory of of any live event that you don't know what's going to happen yeah. and even more so if you take into account what the weather's going to yeah. do. Yeah and, and Doug was saying that actually the open air theatre even more than the globe that you because of the shape of the space you really see the audience and yeah. I think I think you know that that sense is is kind of um, it must be quite disconcerting to the actors really at some levels especially when the rain starts falling and you've got to put your umbrella up and you see everybody go Ooh. yeah um, but they always keep going and I think I mean 101 Dalmatians is definitely a show for um children to enjoy and there's something nice about open air theatre I think with kids because it's slightly less formal even though you have to sit there and because yes. there's something exciting about the act of being outside it's a bit like camping in a way yes well I suppose it also it's it's quite a wide stage the Regent's Park stage and in that way when you look at it reminded me a little bit looking across yesterday because we were all sat in different places and we were trying to spot everybody it felt a little bit but like uh, two different sides of centre court you know and and so it is that width and you are as you say aware of each other but I think you know Maybe there's comfort in that as a child, that sitting in a dark space with a lot of strangers, maybe if you're, if that's in any way a reason not, not to go. I mean, lots of kids find it exciting, but I'm sure that I've taken kids to things where they're like, and this is quite an intimidating prospect yeah, yeah. for two and a half hours to sit in a dark space with lots of strange people kicking the back of your chair or, or indeed trying to stop your own child kicking the back of somebody else's chair. But, but maybe there's a great comfort in in the fact that you know it doesn't go completely dark and you can see everybody yeah i think I, there was a wonderful moment last night where we were looking around we, when um there's a moment in the in the second half where um kate flea would as the kind of uh, magnificently malign social influencer um, in Cruella this version, Cruel de Vil, chasing around the auditorium yeah. and saying that she could smell puppies. Yeah. And just by chance, pure chance, the light went on. She was up at the top of the auditorium and there were two men sitting there with uh, with sort of dog ears on their head. Yeah. And it was absolutely perfect. And it was that kind of serendipitous moment that that slight relaxation of of being outside does, does give you really yeah. of just that sense of things happen that yeah. you don't take expect which I, I really like actually and the way that it's been modernized you know is just is fantastically clever I think you know the lyrics and stuff and um and the young the uh, the baddies are her two nephews and that's all you know I can't remember their is it Jasper and Jasper, Jasper and something Jasper Jasper. yeah Jasper and Casper um and and they're just lovely and there's some fantastic performances um and I you know I think the 101 Dalmatians is a classic novel, but it has been adapted brilliantly, and 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 it is it's no mean feat getting young audiences to sit, to yeah. sit through a musical and, and cheering yeah. and standing ovations at the end. I mean that's fantastic. Yeah, I think Open Air has done very well this year because as um, as we've talked about on this podcast, I was a huge fan of Legally Blonde, oh, yeah, and yeah. and really really loved it. But I wonder we we also you talked to Tim about the fact that it is. It, it was sold out last yeah, night and, and was absolutely packed. full. But 
but everybody is a bit worried about well, the bookings for the, the last minute. Yeah, and I think as a as a sort of theatre manager of any on any level, you know, you want to be able to have some sense of the way things are going. But they but and it's not to say that people don't want to go, go to the theatre because they are going, but they're making that decision right at the last yeah. minute, which is a sort of hair tearing out moment for anybody wanting to know what the what the books are going to be looking like at the end of the week even though ultimately they're going to be all right it's it's hard to plan it's hard to to manage and I think there's lots of things at play I mean we're still reeling from COVID I mean you know they there aren't many theatres that aren't you know that are working at full capacity in terms of actual companies going on. You know, they've got, they're having to, casting and management are having to have lists of people up their sleeves to be able to take over, you know, at any moment. So we're still reeling in that way. But there is also a fear of being in those spaces, you know, and and although there is lots of lovely work happening, it's it feels like... There's there's lots of question marks. There's question marks over whether people can afford to go. There's question marks over whether it's dangerous. If you're in any way vulnerable, yeah, you sort of got you perhaps you know trying to read between the lines. Maybe you've got out of the habit of going, yeah. so it's a bigger deal. Well, it it is interesting because I I have a sense that it is. I, I I mean, it's interesting about the fear of being inside. One reason, of course, that open air theatres um, have done well now and indeed done well through the pandemic when yeah. places like the Minac managed to sort of put on a season and put on quite an adventurous season they put educating Rita on at one point which you know was then went toured into enclosed spaces yeah Um, and I think obviously that's good for open air theatres but I have the sense that right across the country um there's like a um, it's like hidden worry. I, yeah, I, I think particularly for the regional theatres but I've talked to people in London theatres with ostensibly really successful shows on and they too are very anxious because the booking is last minute yeah and um i think your thing about habit is really important that people lost that habit of maybe taking in a show after work or doing it casually so it's more it's gone back to being more of an event a feeling that you have to plan it and i've just got back from edinburgh oh yes um where the temperature was perfect because it was actually just 70 degrees in heaven but they too the fringe well, I think the Fringe and the International Festival are anxious that yeah. the, the the number of Fringe shows have gone down to the level they were in 2009, which is arguably a good thing because it had become so big. But they don't really know whether they're going to get the audience yes, yes. to sustain even the number of shows that are there. Yeah. And um, from a critical point of view, it, 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 was, it was interesting because... When I was standing in queues waiting for, um, you know, to go into to to venues, you'd hear the performers from other shows coming in to watch different things, which yeah. is one of the great things about Edinburgh. And they were saying that if they didn't get a review that was above three stars, that people were in despair. Gosh, yes. And that's really kind of tough because... It puts massive pressure on you. Massive pressure on the yeah. critics. And also... Three stars is good. Yeah. I mean, you do you do as a critic, you sort of feel this thing about kind of grade inflation <laughs> where, where you worry. But I mean, three stars is good. You can't stop making everything four and five because then the, the value of the four and five is kind yeah. of undermined. And I think 
it, it is springing from this incredible anxiety yeah. that they're going to lose money and that, you know, it's not going to be a success. So it, 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 is, it is an interesting time, I think. There's a, there's a whole thing, and I think it, it, it sort of transcends COVID. It transcends so much that's sort of going topsy-turvy at the moment. And I think it has brewed for far longer than we could possibly imagine that... I remember years ago, my dad talking about going to a, a lecture by Iris Murdoch. I think it must have been at Cambridge, and he, uh, which was entitled "Best is the Enemy of the Good," and there is this culture around what we deem success to be, and what we deem worthy of our attention or worthy of, as you say, three, four, five stars or whatever. And and it's a weird thing. The nature of accolade and interest and what deserves interest and what deserves time as opposed to a culture of exploration and conversation and diving in without the worry that it's almost like a sort of FOMO on speed isn't yeah, it the fear total. Of missing out and it, it and I don't know how we get past it but it's not a hugely healthy place to be you know as a as a mum you know your kids growing up this idea that you can't afford to make mistakes. You can't afford to not be the best at something, which for me, I was pretty rubbish at everything at school, but I had a go and I played the class clown because I it was a way of surviving, knowing that in most situations I was going to be completely rubbish. But it, but it, but it was this thing. and I So trying to guide young people into a mindset in which having a go is the most it's important worth it, thing. Yeah. And there is no such thing as a mistake. Yeah. Actually, just moving forward, you know, surviving new experiences, trying things out, as opposed to, I have to be the best. Yeah. It has to be five stars. It has to be rip-roaring yeah. success. It has to win awards. It has to, you know, there, there is, there's no middle ground. Yeah, no, is and it? I think it, it, it's particularly, the pressure is particularly affecting young new writing which actually by and large is um young people so one of the things about edinburgh this year is there's as always quite a lot of new writing but there's more sort of desperation behind it because one of the things that's happened in theatres is that the logjam of commission plays is so great that I mean, basically, if you weren't commissioned before COVID, it's, it's got really, really tough. Yeah. And, and, and theatres are, we might come back to talk about this another time, theatres are trying to find different ways of solving that. But there is a problem. So Edinburgh is a great proving ground. Um, and, um, you know, I saw, well, I saw one play, which um, was produced by Druid, and I suspect was commissioned pre-pandemic, which was called The Last Return. I gave it five stars. It's on at the Travis. It, I thought it was a really interesting concept of his play and very original. It's basically about the end of civilization, but told through a ticket queue. So it fed into, you know, all kinds of... Um, it, it's kind of quite knowing in that way but it's very clever and it's comedy brilliant brilliant thing but I also saw plays that weren't quite there I'm a great fan of um, Dippo Barua Etty who wrote um, An Unfinished Man which was on at the Yard last year which I thought was just terrific and he's got play coming on at the Almeida in the next season and he had done a thing for play for Payne's Plough oh, yes. called Half Empty Glasses, which 
absolutely fascinating subject about um, the curriculum in schools and how you reflect black experience within the curriculum. But it was it was brilliant at many levels. But I did give it three stars because it felt slightly constrained by its format. You know, it was yeah. in a tent and it had to finish in an hour and 20 minutes and he couldn't quite, he got so many ideas and I felt he couldn't quite let them run far enough. Yes, you know, yes. other people may have given it five stars because it was pretty good. Um, but you just think these voices are so important and 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 yeah trying to back them while at the same time give an honest assessment of what you think of them yeah I think is a very great pressure and I hugely admire people like Lynn Gardner who you know has always been passionate about Edinburgh Fringe and who goes to five things a day and gives everyone a kind of incredible sort of chance and yeah. because she sees it as part of her job to allow young talent to emerge and and I think that that sense of pressure on it um is very very great at the moment well, it's interesting isn't it I mean I was reading um quite recently David Hare's autobiography Blue Touch Paper and he talks about those early days of just sort of grabbing a van I can't even remember where he got it but you know that they went on on the road and he was writing literally in the back of a van and throwing together shows and 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 talks openly about the glorious mistakes that he felt that he yeah. made and the sort of things that he made a hash of and then occasionally something would just take off and he go okay yeah, that's interesting that it was a it was a sort of learning active learning. yeah yeah and that's it the 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 the, the sort of forum for active learning uh, it has been diminished by the need for as I say, this sort of, it has to be super, super yeah. special because people want, you know, it, it's almost like maybe it's become, I don't know, and I'm saying this, and I'm, I may be completely wrong, but it's it's a more capitalist approach, you know, which is that, you, you know, that it has to be, it's banking on something. Yes. You know, and that, that yes. it's about, you know, putting your money where you know it's going, where you're going to be making a good investment and, you know, the risk is low and the, the, the um, not the outcome, the 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 payback, the uh, whatever it is that you're making at the end of it is going to be high. Yeah. Um, you, you know that that, as opposed to more sort of socialist, uh, you know, arts culture where it's every, you know, there's room for everybody and everything, and let's see what happens yeah. and how exciting. Yeah. And I, well, it is in the nature of arts funding, and we definitely will return to this in in a future podcast. But um, the arts councillors sort of um, are, are overwhelmed. Yeah. with applications for support and in and in order to sustain as many companies as they can and yeah. also fulfill criteria they themselves have set about um access and inclusivity and all those things yeah they're having to make very difficult decisions about who to fund and who not to fund yeah sure. and i think that again that does again have this this knock-on effect somewhere like edinburgh um where you you know it you need to make money i mean yeah. and that, and you need to make money because you're going to be um forced to pay accommodation and all yeah, you know yeah. eat and those kind of simple things and all of those, uh, that, those costs have gone up massively haven't and they? i do think you know in in a kind of slightly apocalyptic but um serious way that w- people who love the arts, people who practice it, people who believe that it has an important function in society are going to have to look hard at how they um, fund them because 
people are, if if everybody is facing a cost of living crisis yeah and you look at you know what you're going to cut out well a theatre ticket doesn't look essential even though no. it might be you and I might think it's totally essential yes, for yes. all kinds of things um for it isn't really you know but but, but then you look at you know We've been here before on some levels. You think about, I mean, I can't remember when the travel X season was created at the National. Yeah. But that came out of wanting to get people who are making those sorts of decisions back into theatre so that that, the- that decision was less complicated. You know, because I can get to the National for £10 or can get there for £15, whatever. Um, you know, that's what you want. You want to, you want, and they, and people are really trying to do that. Yes, you know, totally. All the time, they're always trying to, you know, paper houses or, or, or open their doors to younger audiences with deals and, and all the rest of it. And it, it exists. It's also a sense of, you know, educating people that that, that is available to them and that they that their input is important, that their presence is important and it's and it can't operate without them. We yeah. need people to go to the theatre and we need, you know, um it has to be. It has to be a culture that belongs to everybody, not, uh, you know, not the the elite. Yeah. And we've been here before. We've been here so we many have. times. We have, and it is it is a sort of, yeah, it's worry. And in a sense, it takes you back to those open air spaces and those different spaces which which can welcome you in. I mean, I I, I do think that um, I was very conscious in Edinburgh that. One of the reasons Edinburgh works is that the spaces aren't intimidating. Yes. And that you sort of, you can rock up and see something and you don't have to be sort of dressed up. And you you have that sense that the audience as a result is slightly broader, actually, than than normal. Also, yeah, ticket prices. Ticket prices are quite high. (laughs) I did did, um, even... It's 20 quid now for right. a friend show, which is seems quite a lot. But anyhow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can still go. And of course, there are brilliant things like two for one days and um, student discounts and all those things. So yeah. so you can get um, tickets for much less. But I, I do feel when I look back at my um, theatre going past that I, I've always been quite inspired by places that you, you seem to be able to just turn up for. I've always yeah. really liked Promenade yeah, Theatre. Yeah. And I spent quite a lot of my early journalistic life in Coventry and they have a series of, they had two things that really stood out for me. One was them, they used to do the mystery plays in the ruins of the old cathedral. And obviously it was ticketed, but it was there and it was sort of like in the centre. And I think people did, you know, people of the city really felt that belonged to them and they would go. And that also had the amazing day for night thing where you got all the comedy in the early part of the evening. And then, of course, you came to the crucifix fiction and, yeah. and 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 the women mourning as the evening went on and I always thought that was one of the great theatrical experiences of of my life seeing those even when they weren't terribly good which yes. they sometimes weren't and the other thing I remember was that whenever I see Ron Cook in anything I always think of this there was a walkabout production done by the RSC which I think was called the Dylan and obviously I should have looked it up before we started this podcast, but it was something, it was something beginning with D. And the whole idea was that he was a local man and it was the story of an ordinary local man. And basically it told the 
story of the shift in Stratford from um, a sort of agricultural um, to a more um, town-based community. And it was, and I remember I did it with my mum and we just, you know, traipsed around following the uh, cast of players. And I was quite young and it did, it did seem magical because it was yeah. just sort of there in front of you and they weren't quite actors and it... I don't know. There's but all some... that stuff is so formative. I mean, it's interesting that we, we talked about the open air theatre. I mean, I even before I can remember going to see um, Guys and Dolls at the National and thinking it was a, that was my epiphany moment. But but before that, I'd been to see Midsummer Night's Dream at the open air theatre with Carol Royal playing um, Titania, and it again sitting as a kid in an audience going, whatever this magic is, I'm I'm in. You know, this is this is where I want to be, and and you know, and I, I and it was really interesting that we talk about you know, and it's such a massive, massive subject, and it's really complex, and there's loads of nuance in it, and I don't in any way want to appear flippant, you know, but we're we're talking about lots of different subjects, but Roger Allen, when we were when we were working together last year, he told me this incredibly moving story about being in the RSC um, as a young actor, and they took a touring production can't even remember which one it was but it was going to schools but all over the country and and I think there was one place they went to and it was a tiny tiny village in mm, could have been Wales can't remember but he said it was for him it was one of the most important moments of his whole career because the need and the reaction of these people and they were a tiny community and they had this little sort of church hall and they set up in there and they had no money. And at the end of the show, there was no local shop or anything else, but they brought all the actors in, um, you know, to whatever the other space was and they gave them bread and soup and they chatted and they were crying. These, yeah. these young teachers were crying and they said, you have no idea how much we work how hard we worked to get the money to pay the RSC to come to this village. Mm. I mean, we worked, we really, really worked and we did it and you're here and it means everything. Yeah. So we have this sense that, you know, within the country, you know, the problem is that, you know, it's elitist and whatever. And what, but there, are, there is desire, there is need. It's just, it's just clicking together the Lego pieces and, and, you know, the the number of times, and I'm sure I've said it before in, in previous episodes, but you meet people and they and they it, it it's about do I have do I have the right to this, to to be here? Do I have the right to an opinion about what I've just seen? Um, you know, a bit like corn is green, all yeah, that sort of yeah. stuff. There's so many bridges that need to be built, but on either side of the bridge there is desire. And it's just and, and it's how you how you click it all back together again and 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 to continue the analogy, COVID has burnt some of those bridges. Yes, yeah. And it's just getting people back into those spaces and going, no, 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 this is for you. I think it's interesting because I think that the um yeah, the the other bridge that's really been burnt somehow in people's minds actually is not quite getting the idea that what the things they like on TV and so on. Yeah come from the same place as the things they might like on um, stage. stage. Yeah, yeah. And I also think, um, and I do think this is why spaces matter and why different spaces matter. Yes. That the it, it is about how much you feel it belongs to you and how it comes to you. The, yeah. The other piece I did recently was um, about a musical show 
created by Peckham teenagers um, with the multi-storey orchestra, oh, which plays yeah, in yeah, the yeah. Um, in the Peckham car park, yeah, um, Peckham levels. And what was interesting, it was called The Ends, and it was a show that has been developed uh, by the Harris Academy and the multi-storey orchestra over a long period about knife crime. And it was, devo- it was dedicated to one of the... Uh, one of their friends who died who died actually trying to save someone else so terrible terrible story but what was interesting in terms of it it was incredibly moving altogether but what was interesting in terms of it being a show was that it totally belonged to both the young people and to the ends, you know, to the yeah. community that they were depicting but so it was made by them yeah. with support it said what they wanted to say yeah and it was on in a place that people in Peckham could go yeah yeah. and I think you know we we will talk about this further but I do think that that's part of it all that it's and that is why you know theatre in the open air and is a joy and theatre in your in your place somehow yes matters And maybe that is one of the good things that can come out of this. If if we, it's not going to be good for theatre owners, but maybe for makers, that's going to be part of the solution. Yes, removing some of the pomp. Removing some of the pomp, making it a bit easier to go on. Yeah, yeah. I feel we've covered a lot of ground this week, yeah. but oh, anyhow, <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed it and that you agree with some of it and... Um, I think we'll stop there, perhaps. So it's goodbye from me, the critic. And goodbye from me, the actress.